Welcome to the Cherry Hills Podcast. We're in a series on Micah chapter 6, verse 8, where we're learning that even when things are unclear, God has clearly shown us what is good. Thanks for joining us. A man had his picture taken by a photographer, and uh, when he uh, got the picture, he was very upset. So he rushed back into the photographer's uh, office and, and angrily said, Uh, Do you see this picture? Look at this picture. This picture does not look like me. The photographer looked at him and decided to tell him the truth. He said, Mr., with a face like yours, you don't need justice. You need mercy. And so when you and I think about justice and mercy, we're going to talk about that today. And uh, as we think about justice, that whole subject, we're going to mainly focus in on Micah 6, 8. And so if you've never read that verse before, you have an opportunity to do it with me and other people today. So if you're uh, following along in the message notes, that first gray box contains the words so we can all read off the same translation. Would you read it with me? He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God? We're going to talk about this verse for three weeks in a row. And I want you to specifically notice the act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. Now, today, you may notice that the message is entitled Love Mercy. And if you're like me, you like proper sequence. So why are we not talking about act justly? Well... I'm going to ask you to give me mercy. The reason why is because Pastor Steve was supposed to teach on act justly this morning, but he learned early this week that his son, who's in middle school, was going to be running at state in cross country this morning up north. And so because you as a church are so supportive of us as a staff, making sure we also give our family proper priority, uh, we definitely said, you go there and I'll... Speak on love, mercy, and you can do, do, you know, act justly next week. So you're going to hear about justly next week, but today we're going to talk about mercy. And if you're following along, here's what I hope you'll see in this whole series, is that when much is in unclear right now, God has clearly shown us what is good, what is good to do, what is good for our lives. When much is unclear, God has clearly shown us what is good. Now, this is just a capsulization of our series sentence, which we'll put on the screen here. So in time when so many things are unclear, God has clearly shown us what is good to act justly, to love mercy and walk humbly with God, even if other people don't join us. Act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with God. This is what we're going to focus on in these three weeks, even though we're out of order a little bit, okay? So today, I want to talk to you about mercy. And I don't know what your starting point is with mercy and what it means uh, for us to understand and love mercy, but I want to dig in with you about that. And here's what I hope you'll notice after reading Micah 6, 8, if you're following along, that what God teaches us is that he teaches us that so much of life is about relating rightly. Even his truth is relational truth. It's not just propositional truth. It almost always has to do with how I relate to God and relate to people rightly. And so as we think about this, this this verse helps us relate rightly if we honor God 
properly. So what is mercy? What does it mean to love mercy? And how can we be a people who love mercy? Would you pray with me that God will teach us today about that? Now, Lord, I don't know how you do it, but you have this ability to get inside us and show us things. And sometimes you surprise us. Sometimes you remind us. Sometimes you humble us. Sometimes you encourage us. Whatever we need today, God, be our teacher, I pray, and help us be a people who love mercy with you. In your name I ask, amen. So first of all, when you think of Micah 6, I want to just give you a little background. And if you've never read the book of Micah before, there's a couple things I can tell you. First, Micah 5 contains a famous prophecy and prediction that the Messiah, Jesus, would be born in Bethlehem. That's found in chapter 5. In chapter 6, what we read about is kind of a courtroom scene. The book of Micah is where God is bringing an indictment against his people that they have gotten far away from him and his original intention from them. And so listen to the words of Warren Wiersbe. He writes, In this courtroom scene, the Lord calls witnesses and tells the people to be prepared to plead their case. The Lord opens the proceedings by telling his side of the controversy, emphasizing the gracious way he has dealt with the nation from the very beginning. He redeemed them from Egyptian slavery. He gave them leaders who guided them through the wilderness with his help. And he brought them to their promised inheritance. And throughout this journey, the Lord had put up with their unbelief, disobedience, and repeated complaints. So if you're following along, here's what I hope you'll see about Micah 6.8. Is that God doesn't tell us to do what he doesn't first do himself. God doesn't tell us what to do. What he doesn't first do himself. I don't know about you, I'll follow any leader that says, I'm not going to ask you to do something I'm not willing to do myself. I'll lead the way, and I want you to respond when I do that. I'll show you what it looks like. And so God's done that, and he reminds them of that. And then, as if they're saying, and if you follow Micah 6, it's like they go, well, what do you want us to do to make up for this? Do you want us to bring more sacrifices? Is that how we get things right? What do you want us to do? And he's going, look, you can mechanically do all kinds of religious acrobatics like that. I'm not asking for that. I'm asking for you to have a heart that acts justly, that loves mercy, and walks humbly with me. And you've gotten away from that. And so he calls them back to that. So if you're following along, here's what I want you to notice is that mercy, let's think of a definition. What is it? So let me say this before I give it to you. Justice is getting what we deserve. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. And when you think about that, let me explain that it actually has an element of generosity and compassion in it. So if you're following along, mercy is compassion moved to action. It's not just feeling something, it's doing something. So compassion moved to action. Uh, another word for it is loving kindness. The word from the Old Testament is hesed. And it's the word that's often used of God's steadfast covenant love, his loving kindness to his people over and over and over again. So it has the idea of love and it has the idea of kindness. It's compassion that's moved. When you get to the New Testament, it's elios is the word. And the idea comes from this idea also uh, of being tenderhearted and compassionate. It comes from this idea for the Middle Eastern people of move from your 
depth of your bowels. The idea is, is from the deepest part of you, something is moved. You can't just sit still. Something inside of you feels something and moves towards inaction. And so as you think about that, um, I've listed out to the right something I need your help with. I've listed Psalm 51.1, and then it looks like I was listing Psalm 55.7. If you look up Psalm 55.7, it's not going to help you a lot with mercy. I actually meant to put Isaiah 55.7. So if you don't mind correcting that for me. Um, but again, let me just read this. Some of you may have heard this story before of the great world leader Napoleon. A mother once approached Napoleon seeking a pardon for her son. The emperor replied that the young man had committed a certain offense twice and justice demanded death. But I don't ask for justice, the mother explained. I plead for mercy. But your son does not deserve mercy, Napoleon replied. Sir, the woman cried, it would not be mercy if he deserved it. And mercy is all I can ask for. Well then, Napoleon said, I will have mercy. And he spared the woman's son. And the truth is, is that that is our story if we've met Jesus Christ. Oh Lord, if you were to keep a record of sins, who could stand? If we all got what we deserved, we would be separated from God for eternity. Instead, the Bible tells us that in his mercy, God reached out to us. He was moved with compassion and sent his one and only son that we might have hope and we might have a restored relationship. He showed us loving kindness that we have not deserved. And that kind of mercy is the story that he wants us to know. But also, when I listed Psalm 51.1, David talks about this idea, this theme. He had known the mercy of God, but he also knew God's character. So he says in Psalm 51, when he had fallen, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. And throughout the scripture, you see people that understand their need for mercy, crying out, oh God, have mercy on me. Oh God, have mercy on us. Oh God, hear my cry for mercy. And that is a beautiful picture. And God is moved by those kinds of prayers. But here's what I want you to notice if you're thinking about loving mercy is that it's all about my heart. It's all about our heart. And if you're following along, it, it, it has something to do with the temperature and the texture of your heart. Is it cold or warm, hardened or tender? Cold or warm, hardened or tender. And the Bible actually uses this word tender or softened for the idea of mercy on a number of occasions. The word from compassion or mercy tends to be tender hearted. And so what is my heart like? And I, what I've noticed is, is I can tell when mercy is doing a work in me is it moves me towards a warmth of relating rightly. It moves me towards a humility and a tenderness and a softness rather than a hardness. And so as you think about mercy today, here's how I'd like to serve it up to you. If we're going to talk about what it looks like to love mercy and move towards mercy in our practice and our relationship with God and people, I thought... I could do that in one way, but I've actually found that it helps me to think about what happens when I'm moving away from mercy, when I don't love mercy. What does that look like? And so over the years, as I've read Jesus' teaching, Jesus' parables, 
I've noticed that he's used three or four of them to really get my attention. And today I want to highlight three. But as I do that, I really want to draw five ways that I've seen in my life when I'm moving away from mercy, when I don't love mercy in those moments or in those chapters of my life. And I'm hoping that while I'm talking, that the Holy Spirit will have this ability to go right to your heart and show you where you're at with mercy today. I know there are some of you in this room that you have never, ever come to a place where you have realized your need for God's mercy and you've never cried out to God for his saving mercy. I just want to say that if that's your step today, I'm praying that you will know it and you will have the courage to do it because God wants you to know his mercy firsthand. But many of us have done that, and we need to know what it looks like to be people of mercy now that we've received his mercy already. What would that look like, and what does it look like when we start moving away from that? So as I do that, let me just start by serving up number one. I've noticed that when I don't love mercy, when I'm moving away from a merciful heart, I'm quick to find fault and look down on others. I'm quick to find fault and look down on others. The very first parable that I draw this from is a parable called the parable of the tax collector, the Pharisee and the tax collector in Luke 18. And here's what it says, if you have never seen it before. Jesus said, to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One, a Pharisee, and the other, a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector over there. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance, Jesus said. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man rather than the other, went home right before God, justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Yesterday, I was out in traffic. I was doing some errands, running some errands, and um, I don't know if you guys experienced this, and I know with COVID, it's probably just intensified it a little bit for all of us having to do extra things like wear masks and stay apart from people. But anyway, I'm driving, and someone cut me off. And I found myself just thinking, God, what's wrong with people? I don't know if you've ever had this, but all of a sudden I could just feel like I was one of the few people in the world that's getting life right. Does anybody understand what I'm saying here? I mean, it's really beautiful. It's a beautiful spirit. It's feels. But anyway, I just remember thinking, ugh. And there's this low-grade irritation with people. You can walk around. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I think it's my job to analyze and criticize And I get in that spirit, and that spirit just shows me I'm not softened by mercy. I've gotten callous. Jesus said that because of the increase of wickedness in this world, the love of most will grow cold in the last days. (laughs) I mean, it's it's so easy for our heart to just go, you know, come on. And that's when I know I'm moving away from mercy. The other night, I was analyzing something, and my wife just said, you know, you're pulling me down. And I realized I was. And I was just so proud I was right. But it really didn't. It wasn't merciful. Now, the second thing is, is that when I don't love mercy, I don't do what I can to help others. 
When I don't love mercy, when I'm moving away from mercy, I don't do what I can to help others. Now, here's the famous story that even people outside the church have heard before, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Jesus was being asked by a religious leader one day, what's the, what's the most important commandments in the scripture? He said, well, how do you read the law? And he said, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is, love your neighbor as yourself. He said, you judge rightly. Do this and you'll live. And so it says the religious leader wanted to justify himself. And so he said, well, who is my neighbor? And Jesus said, let me tell you a story. There was a man that went down to Jericho. And while he was going down, some bandits attacked him and robbed him and left him for dead. And so as he was laying there dying, a priest had left the temple from his assignments that day. And he walked down and saw the man on the other side of the road. And um, when he saw him, he walked by on the other side, passed by on their side. A Levite came by. He had gotten done with his work at the temple as well. And he saw him and he did the same thing. He walked, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan came along and he got down off his donkey and he saw, and he was moved with compassion for this person. And he couldn't just pass by. And, and so he tended to his wounds. He took him to an inn, cared for him. And when he had to continue going on his trip, he said to the innkeeper, here's some money. Please help take care of him. And when I come back, if there's anything more I owe, I'll, I'll, I'll pay you. And Jesus then asked this question. Here's how he finishes this parable. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? Jesus asked. The man replied. Notice these words. The one who showed him, what's the word? Mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. Go and show mercy. Be a neighbor. Love your neighbor. Show mercy. And it's so powerful. And so I don't know about you, but on any given day, there are so many needs. There are so many situations that I become aware of. I realize almost immediately I can't possibly meet them all. So I can easily go, well, I'm just going to get more cynical or more distant. I'm going to guard my heart. And the Lord says, now be careful. You may not be able to do everything, but are you doing something to help in this world? And when you do something to help, are you being partial to people that will pay you back? Are you caring about the least of these? Are you caring about people that really, really need mercy? Are you doing something to help? It's been a gut check for me. I've noticed that sometimes I can just get so callous. The third thing is when I don't love mercy, I don't forgive those who've wronged me. I don't forgive those who've wronged me. By the way, before I, I go on, I just wanted to tell you that I came across a story uh, that I was really touched by when it comes to helping people. A lady answered the knock on her door to find a man with a sad expression. I'm sorry to disturb you, he said, but I'm collecting money for an unfortunate family in the neighborhood. The husband is out of work, the kids are hungry, the utilities will soon be cut off. And worse, they're going to be kicked out of their apartment if they don't pay the rent by this afternoon. I'd be happy to help, said the woman with a great concern. But who are you, by the way? I'm the landlord, he replied. Now there's a landlord who saw a situation and did something and didn't just hold them accountable only. Notice this, that I don't forgive those who've wronged me. Now, here's the third parable. 
Jesus told the parable of the unmerciful servant. So the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector, the, Pharisee, the parable of the Good Samaritan, and the parable of the unmerciful servant. If you've never read this one, this one just daggers me sometimes. Jesus was being asked by Peter one day, Lord, how often should I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Seven times? And I think Peter was kind of congratulating himself that he was willing to pick a number like that. He thought, that's pretty big. That's more than most people would forgive. And Jesus said, no, Peter, 70 times seven. In other words, if you're into counting, you've already missed the point. There's going to be enough stuff in, in relationships where you're going to probably have to forgive more than you think. And so then he tells this story. He said there was a king who wanted to settle his accounts. So he called in one of his servants who owed 10,000 talents. Now, any hearer of this originally would have been amazed because that number even though we don't understand Middle Eastern economy, that number was larger than some small country's national debt. The idea is Jesus is telling a story about someone that could never possibly pay back his debt, right? So when he finds out that he owes, this man gets down on his knees, this servant, and says, give me time, be patient with me, I'll pay back everything I owe. Well, the king, rather than laughing at him, decides to have mercy on him, and he forgives the entire debt. Now, this would be an amazing thing. So he walks out of the king's presence, and shortly after that, he encounters a guy that owes him 300 denarii, which was like less than a year's uh, daily wage of a day worker. So it wasn't that much by 10,000 talents at all. But this guy, when he, the servant, has this guy that owes him money, sees him, the guy that owes him money gets down on his knees and pleads the exact same sentence. Be patient with me. Give me time and I'll pay you back. But this servant that's just been forgiven the national debt says no. He drives him to the ground and says, you pay me back. And he had him thrown into prison until he paid back everything. And when the king heard this, he was furious. And he said, I forgave you all that debt just because you asked me to. And then he asked this question. If you've never read it, it's powerful. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. If you don't love mercy, you won't forgive. You don't forgive. I don't forgive. God, show me. Some of us have had a lot of things where people have wronged us. Some of us in this room have really been hurt by other people. And so Jill Briscoe tells a story that's very humbling about a woman that she met at a conference that she was speaking at. This woman was sexually abused as a small child by her father. She grew up, overcame the emotional damage that had been done, and eventually married a missionary. Years later, after her children were fully grown, she received a letter from her father telling her that he had become a Christian and had asked God for forgiveness and received it. He had, moreover, realized that he had sinned dreadfully against her and was writing to ask for her pardon. Feelings she didn't even know were there suddenly surfaced. It wasn't fair. He should pay for what he had done, she thought bitterly. It was all too easy, and now he was going to be part of the family? She was sure her home church was busy killing the fattened calf for him and that she would be invited to the party. She was angry, resentful, and then one night she had a dream. 
She saw her father standing on an empty stage. Above him appeared the hands of God holding a white robe of righteousness. She recognized it at once, for she was wearing one just like it. As the robe began to descend toward her father, she woke up crying out, No, it isn't fair. What about me? The only way she could finally rejoice, as her heavenly father pleaded with her to do, was to realize that her earthly father was now wearing the same robe that she was. They were the same in God's sight. It had cost his son's life to provide both of those robes. And as she began to see her father clothed with the garments of grace and mercy, she was able to begin to rejoice and forgive. Now, please understand me. Forgiveness does not mean that what the other person did was right. Forgiveness does not mean that they may not still need to be held accountable for their actions or that charges may be made. It does not mean that you and I trust those people the same way. Jesus did not spend time with certain people that meant him harm, except on one occasion, and that was the cross. Otherwise, he walked away from those. But he had mercy even on his enemies and people that hounded him in a way that was amazing. And he asked us to pass on the same spirit. Notice this, that it kind of leads to the fourth one, is that when I don't love mercy, I've forgotten God's great mercy to me. Oh man, this happens a lot. I can so easily forget, like that one servant that was forgiven the national debt, and then look at somebody else that's wronged me and think theirs is bigger than mine. And so I've forgotten God's great mercy to me. Some of you know that Titus 3.5 has been a powerful verse in my life. It's, you know, before these words, it says, at one time we too were foolish, that we were disobedient, that we did detestable things, that we hated and were, uh, we, we hated and were being hated. And then he says this, but he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy, he saved us. And when I forget that, I move away from mercy. The last thing is I also obey differently. I obey God more out of duty than gratitude. I obey God more out of duty than gratitude. When I was in high school, my youth leaders encouraged me to memorize some scripture, and one of them was Romans 12. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your proper worship now that you've received mercy. And basically, the only way you and I are going to ultimately surrender with the right spirit is if mercy, God's mercy, has gotten to us. And when God's mercy keeps getting to me, God doesn't have to hold a gun to my head anymore. It tenderizes my heart. It softens my heart. It makes me tender-hearted again. So as we think about these things, here's the whole goal. Here's why God showed him what was good and what he wanted from them. If you're following along, love mercy means to pass it on the mercy God's given us. I showed you three parables. Let me tell you one more passage that Jesus taught in Luke 6. He's saying some words here. This is powerful. So Luke 6, 32 through 36, look at what he says. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners, even the mafia loves those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies. Do good to them 
and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Why? Then your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High because he is kind. He is merciful to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your father is merciful. Wow. So let me just say a couple things. The early Christians got this. They had been so ambushed and so amazed by mercy that when Rome went through a pandemic, when it went through a plague, and everyone fled for their lives, the Christians stayed. And they took care of the sick. They cared for the poor. And it was a powerful witness. And people realized, I don't have a heart like that. Where did you get a heart like that? And they realized that they'd gotten it from their Heavenly Father. And it began to turn people towards Jesus. And so as they did that, I want to tell you one more story that came to me this week. When I was first being mentored by my dad to be one of the future pastors of this church, we were going for a walk one day in Washington Park. And dad said, I want to tell you something, and I want you to remember it. Cherry Hills is filled with people who have a heart of mercy. He said, by that, here's what I mean. They have a tangible concern for the hurting. I've seen it again and again and again. And if you fail to pay attention to that, you'll miss the heart of Cherry Hills. And I want to just say this. He was right. So many of you practice mercy. So many of you, when you see someone or when you find yourself becoming different, you keep coming back to a merciful heart and you're moved by different things. But here's, if you're like me, you get away from mercy. So do we have any good news? <laughs> I do. And that's how I'd like to finish. What does it mean to be a people who love mercy? Well, first, here it is, throughout our lives, the Lord often calls us back to mercy. Throughout our lives, the Lord often calls us back to mercy. So I've told you about three parables and a passage of scripture on Jesus' teaching. One more. And it's found in the second gray box. Would you read it with me, please? But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. We learned this recently in the series called The One, where we were learning that Jesus was criticized for hanging out with people that seemed to be far from God, that seemed to be riffraff in the community. And when he was criticized, he said to these Bible scholars, I think you missed, I think you missed something when you read the Bible. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not spiritual performance, not jumping through all the right hoops as much as I want you to have a heart of mercy. So one day I'm reading this passage, and the Lord, again, across the ticker of my mind, just right to my heart, Jeff, here's the phrase, get back to mercy. You're not, your heart's not soft. You become critical. You become unhelpful to people. You're unmoved by their situations. You, 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 you're, you're not willing to forgive and bless those that have mistreated you. Come on. He just called me back, and I'm so thankful. And I'll just say this. He's so faithful to do that. So here's the situation. Lord, where, to whom, and how do I need to pass on mercy? Where, to whom, and how do I need to pass on mercy? I wrote this this week. Is that mercy changes the way I treat people who have wronged me. It changes the way I look at people in need. Mercy changes the way I pray for people, even my enemies. 
changes the way I look at myself, not with a spirit of superiority. It changes the way I relate to God and obey him. And so is there some person that right now you're having a hard time wanting to have a heart of mercy for? Is there some situation? Is there some place? I don't know what it might be, but God wants us to come back to mercy. So some of us have heard of the hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. And that, that hymn is a famous one. And um, again, if you've never heard the story behind it, it's really a fascinating story. A guy named Robert Robinson wrote it in 1857. He had been affected by George Whitfield's preaching one day. And so in his early 20s, he, he wrote down this hymn. And in the hymn, it said, Come thou fount of every blessing. Tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing. Call for songs of loudest praise. And he wrote that, and there's other verses. Well, one day, he had, uh, many years later, he had gotten far away from God, and now he was just totally living for himself. So he's in a stagecoach. Remember, this is the 1700s. And he's riding, and there's a woman in the stagecoach with him, and she's reading, and she says, can I share something with you that I just read? This is a powerful verse. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. She goes, isn't that powerful? And he starts crying and said, ma'am, I'm the sorry man that actually wrote those words many years ago and how I wish I could be like I was back then. And she said, well, wait, did you remember? She said, I'm quite sure that streams of mercy are still flowing. And evidently, a short time after that, he turned back to the Lord. So would you just sing this first verse of Come Thou Fount with me as we prepare for communion? Come thou fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing, call for songs of loudest praise. Thanks for joining us today. If you would like more information or to stay connected to Cherry Hills Church, please visit our website at cherryhillsfamily.org or follow us on Facebook.